Hello, everybody, and welcome to Web and Beyond Live for May 23rd, 2022. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. I am CEO of W3 Consulting and Managing Director of W3C Web Services, which provides affordable web and WordPress hosting, domain name registration, and other web-related services, primarily for you, for small businesses. Uh, web and Beyond Live is, of course, uh, our weekly show about topical and timely small business digital marketing and related issues. Uh, whether you're watching live or the replay or listening to the podcast, uh, welcome. Feel free to ask questions in the chat in the comments section, and I'll do my best to answer them. Uh, you can always tweet at me at W3Consulting on Twitter as well. And so uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, last week was Global Accessibility Awareness Day, and so happy belated <laughs> Global Accessibility Awareness Day. Uh, I bring that up because it's so important for people to recognize that one in four people on the planet planet at some point in their life will identify as uh, having some level of disability or have some, some kind of impairment. And when we talk about digital marketing, uh, everything you do for accessibility is actually good for Google. And what's good for Google is good for bringing traffic to your website. So there's actually a, you know, a, a monetary interest in being accessible with regard to all of your both website and email and social media content. And so adding that alt text and making sure that you describe images and video in your social media is actually really positive for being able to drive more traffic to your content. And so this week, what I wanted to do was to cover a kind of mixture of different topics. I wanted to talk about Google launching their My Ad Center and talking a little bit about how that affects you as a small business and uh, the, the things that you can do to overcome some of those pieces. I also wanted to discuss the, um, the new timed emoji reactions that uh, YouTube is bringing out to the system. And I'm hopeful that that will come out to most people soon and hopefully uh, having timed comments, which would be really, really helpful as well. I wanted to run through the five essential marketing lessons from the sharing economy article that I picked up from the Marketing Insider Group. I think they're really just good touch points for us all to think about as business owners generally, talking a little bit about accepting and managing recurring payments and my suggestions around that. There is a um, an, a uh, report that I picked up uh, called the Shopper story 2022 report uh, it's on consumer trends and the future of, of commerce it was put out by criteo i think that's how they pronounce their name uh, or critio <laughs> and so i wanted to walk through that report with you all as well today so let's get into it with regard to google launching their my ad center and uh, so the idea here is that my ad center uh, will in essence give you more control over your ads that are being displayed across the various Google properties. YouTube has given you more control recently, and now we're gonna see more and more control coming uh, to the rest of your Google experience, which I'm really, really excited about. And so if you um, kind of follow along, what you do is if you go to any search that you do or anywhere that ad surface is going to be on Google now, you will in essence get a uh, a little three dot icon and the three dot icon gives you the ability to go ahead and drop down. And you'll see now that if I do this search for Rothy's men's shoes and I see all of the various shoes that they have available to me, you can see the ads section on any given search page and it's labeled and it says ads. And then when you click on that three dots, whether you're on desktop or mobile, now you are seeing a little card that gives you the option to go ahead and toggle on or off 
ads from this particular brand. And so if you see a set of ads that you don't like, you can go ahead and turn that off. Uh, even further than that, which is really great, you can go to your ad center and you can do that by going to ad, ads, plural, A-D-S, ads settings, again, plural, S-E-T-T-I-N-G-S, dot google.com and you will be taken to your google ads settings and i know it says google ad settings in the in the uh in the uh, logo but the url itself is uh pluralized so it's ads settings uh, dot google.com and a little confusing there but if you scroll down now to the bottom you'll see a section that is about sensitive ad categories on youtube as well and so as i said before youtube kind of brought this out on in beta first uh, but you, you if you scroll up from here you'll see all of your personalized ad settings and you can turn those on or off as you need to but don't forget to scroll down here to the bottom where if you click on here like this button that says see fewer now you will see fewer ads for a specific category and the categories they so far have for youtube specifically is alcohol dating gambling pregnancy and parenting together and then weight loss so you can say i don't want to see any of these ads and so you can just basically click on the uh, see fewer click continue and then it goes ahead and turns off that kind of ad for you and if you want them to be back on you just go ahead and click on the allow and allow again and it'll turn back on that category for you so that you'll be able to see it i just think this is really good for consumers to have more control over what kinds of ads they see and i mean i know for myself uh, you know i don't want to see dating ads on youtube i don't want to see particular brands across google ads altogether now i have more fine-grained control over that However, like with anything, uh, you know, the more uh, control that consumers have, uh, the more difficult it's going to be for you to be able to um, go ahead and get them to, um, you know, pay attention to your ads. And it gives them the ability to go ahead and block your ads if for some reason, uh, you know, they don't like what you're what you're putting out. So one thing to really, really consider is to make sure that you're educating your audience over time about these kinds of ad controls and say hey if you don't want to see our ads go ahead and you know block us I mean, you can go ahead and click on the three dots and block us and i think that's actually really positive as a business owner i don't want to spend money on and toward people who don't want to see my work so uh, you're opting in to see this content right now. And if you do not want to see it, then unsubscribe, right? And there's an unsubscribe button uh, on YouTube and on, and on Facebook and other places where you can unfollow and so on and so forth. Like, feel free to do that if you don't want to consume my content. And I think that's the kind of message that actually gives people more and greater trust in the person that they're following and watching along. So I really think that you should be educating people about this. This is a time and place in society where we have greater uh, distrust of people and we have to rebuild loyalty across the board. I think there's a lot of reaching across the aisle in terms of politics. There's lots of reaching across the, uh, you know, the, the chasm uh, because of the pandemic. And so we, we are coming back into that um, kind of relationship building and reestablishing trust and those kinds of things. And I think this could be a really good opportunity for people who um, are doing ads and want to be able to, uh, you know, express to their consumers that, hey, we care about giving you the right things. And so if we're not, uh, you know, feel free to unsubscribe from our ads, in essence, so that you can, uh, you know, go on and find other things that you need. Uh, and that way you can actually be running ads for people who who really care. 
Okay, next up is, uh, I'm just really excited about this, which is the uh, YouTube has put in timed emoji reactions. Now, what that means is, is that if you are watching uh, a YouTube video, uh, some people, not you may not yet, but some people are, are starting to see the ability for you to click on an emoji in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen. You'll have this little emoji pop-up button and you'll be able to uh, place an emoji at a specific time in a video, which means that if at some point in my video, um, you're like, I'm confused, or this is a really good point, or those kinds of things, you can place emoji in that timeline to let the video creator know that you are excited or confused or otherwise. In a live video, um, you know, you can you can see that in say YouTube and other places where you'll be able to actually click on uh, a, an emoji and place that into the comments and on mobile, you can kind of do those things. So there's some options there for you on on mobile in a live, but in asynchronous and like a pre-recorded video that you don't have that option. Or once this live video ends, you don't have that option. Uh, so I really like the idea of having timed emoji reactions come to YouTube in this sense. This is so far only on mobile. I'm hoping that this comes to desktop, but more important than that, I really, really wanna see YouTube bring timed comments so that at a specific moment when you are confused about something, many times people write really vague responses in the comments, you know, like, that was great. <laughs> and, uh, or, um, you know, what are you talking about? Those are not very helpful when you don't really know what the person is talking about in that moment. But if the comment is, is time signatured to a point in the video, then it becomes really, really more helpful for me to help those people who have questions about things as they come through. And I think that will help so many more businesses as we make our way through. So very excited to see this uh, kind of evolution of both timed emoji reactions and hopefully timed comments come to the YouTube ecosystem. All right, next up is, as I said earlier, Marketing Insider Group put out this article uh, called The Five Essential Marketing Lessons from the Sharing Economy. And they run through them, and I think they're really, really good for us to kind of, uh, you know, at least uh, digest in some level. And so the first one is bring people together through co-creation. And what they really mean is to build communities. And the reality is, is that if you have a community, you have a group of people who are willing to work together and uh, and that those people who are working together uh, tend to have a greater and stronger bond with you, the business owner and or the business itself. And that means that you're going to have a greater chance of uh, having repeat customers and uh, new customers coming in through their advocacy. And that's where they talk about number two, empower your customer and inspire loyalty. You want Brad advocates. You want people who are going to be bringing uh, more people to you over time. Next, they talk about sharing is a social exchange. This really builds upon my conversation with you earlier about the idea of trust and building trust with buyers. It's really an important time to be able to reestablish trust and get people to be working with each other again. And uh, user uh, feedback they're talking about regarding crafting a perfect website. I think that this is one of those cases where uh, it's really difficult to uh, build great websites today uh, in a DIY capacity. But at the same time, if you can get feedback from your audience on your website, then you're going to get, uh, you know, you're going to get really close. Uh, and so I really find that consistently asking people who visit your website what their experience was, what their 
challenges were. And it doesn't mean that you have to respond and change everything based on what they are saying. But if you start to see patterns and you recognize that there are actual issues on your website, fix them. You know, if if you have you know, six or seven clicks to get to everywhere you need to go on your website, then that's going to be a reduced efficacy for conversions. So you want to really make sure that if somebody's coming to your website, they have an ease of getting from point A to point B, point B being the thing you want them to do. And so if I get to your website through any landing page, right, that's any page indexed by Google that I can click on and land on your website, then that landing page needs to give me one additional click to whatever you want me to do. And if it doesn't, then the then that's a failing of the website, and you need to be able to re-archetype, uh, optimize the website to give me that kind of control and perspective. And finally, it talks about you know building your business through community awareness. And I think this is again just an extension of number one, which is co-creation and creating community. Uh, but the idea here is that uh, these communities are hyper local, and I consistently talk about this. Uh, starting a a brand as a national brand is usually very difficult. And most startups who are doing that are VC backed and they are doing some level of uh, advertising or they are a SaaS software where word of mouth is going to spread very quickly in that sense. But most of you are businesses in a local environment and why not take advantage of the home team advantage? That is most people are tribal. They are going to, uh, you know, lend their, uh, you know, uh, they're going to, associate credibility with you based on the fact that you're in their in-group, right? I'm here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And so if other Pittsburghers are like, okay, this business is here. Well, they're in my hometown. That means I'm going to trust them more than somebody say in Cincinnati or somebody in Chicago. Uh, it's just very, very likely that if you uh, target locally, you can grow locally and then you can always expand. Because once you've you've gotten uh, you know a certain size, then people will start to trust you from that size, and then you can grow and grow and grow and grow. So don't think about taking over the world immediately. Uh, you know, just like how you eat an elephant, bite by bite. Take over small uh, locations, uh, challenge yourself to do well in that space, and then take over the neighbor, and then take over the neighbor, and take over the neighbor. Not to sound militaristic, but you, you get my point. You're you're much better off. Uh, targeting locally and building the community locally, and then over time growing it in uh, in different regions as you make your way along. So I thought this article was really good because uh, as I'm starting to work on my next book after podcasting for small business comes out uh, this fall, I'm I'm thinking about you know writing about this concept of community and small business and how. Uh, small businesses really need to uh, accept and embrace the concept of community in their own businesses. And so this really did um, pique my attention in that regard. All right, next up, I want to talk about accepting and managing recurring payments. Uh, there's nothing better than a client that is paying you uh, regularly and they've put in either a credit card or their bank information and they are just paying you on the regular, right? Uh, it gives you a stability in the business. And I think that as, as much as you can or as many times as you can think about uh, productizing your business in a way that allows you to be able to have this kind of regular dependable 
uh, revenues is really important. And so this article was really interesting to me because it talked about, uh, you know, doing uh, and, and getting recurring payments set up. And so they talked about the really the two different types of recurring payments. One are, uh, you know, recurring invoices, uh, where you are consistently sending out a new invoice, and that customer is paying against that invoice. And then of course, automatic payments where you have a payment processor that is charging a card or a bank information on the regular as well. Of course, the second, uh, the latter is better than the former, uh, but you know, it just depends on the nature and how you're doing, uh, you know, work with that particular client. Uh, and so this particular art article just gives some basic rundown of, uh, you know, basic rundown of some of the good things to think about, which is to offer good payment methods to your customers. I think it's really important to give as many different options uh, for preferred payment from customers as possible within reason, right? You don't need to be able to do all payment methods, uh, but at the same time, you want to be able to give enough different types of payment methods. Uh, I call this help me help you take my money. Uh, so uh, if you help me help you take my money, then I am much more likely to go to you and spend money with you. And what most businesses do is that they limit the ways in which uh, they help their cons consumers, uh, their customers, uh, you know, take their money, uh, they then limit their uh, purchases with those businesses. And so it's not like you have to start taking Bitcoin tomorrow. That's not really what I'm advocating for. Uh, but really giving uh, the options of even just, uh, you know, being able to take a check and doing an ECH, ACH payment through uh, the website for recurring payments is much more helpful than saying, okay, we only take, uh, you know, credit cards of these different brands. And if you can't, then we, you can't pay us. Uh, that would be, you know, less than desirable. Uh, so just keeping in mind all of these various options that are available to you are uh, helping your customers have more convenience. And the more convenience they have, then the less cost actually comes into play with a lot of these kinds of purchases because it's just saving them time and time is money. Um, you know, he, they talk about the idea of storing and securing customer information. Uh, in general, uh, being able to do PCI uh, compliance and, and all of the various compliance around uh, customer information for purposes of payment, uh, it's just way too difficult for most small business owners. So absolutely use a third party to be able to do this that knows what they're doing and that you could trust. Uh, we particularly have used Wave invoices. Uh, it's free on its surface. And it just charges you a per transaction fee, usually something around 30 or 60 cents or something like that. And then a percentage, you know, somewhere between 2.7, 3% uh, per transaction. And the then, you know, they're handling all of that. And so all of the compliance stuff, all of the data is being held with them. You have control of your customer relationship, but you don't have to worry about all of that stuff. You should absolutely talk to your bank, talk to your credit card processor if you already have one for in-store in retail purposes, uh, and that therefore they can go ahead and, and expand that service to online. Most have an online uh, system, but just make sure that their monthly fees, their per transaction costs, and their and their and their uh, processing fees are not robbing you of a substantial amount of your uh, revenues per transaction. Uh, it's really, really important to kind of um, keep that in mind. Then we come to the uh, payment schedule and uh, communicating with your customers. And of course, a payment schedule is really, really important. Some bill uh, weekly, some bill monthly, some bill semi-annually, some bill quarterly, some bill on an annual basis. So you know, make sure that you have the right terms for that recurring payment, uh, you know, develop for that client. You have know, some clients who just pay me once a year, they don't want to have to deal with the constant, you know, 
you know, payment schedule. So they just do that one, one payment per year and call it a day. Some pay on a weekly basis uh, because they have to be very careful of cash flow and also the changing nature of the work that's happening. And so we have all of those options within uh, Wave to be able to do that. And so we go ahead and do that. And we actually charge and use, uh, um, what's the name of the FreshBooks for part of our, our billing for for one of our uh, subsidiaries. And so we actually do all of those things in that system. So, but it has all the flexible ability to be able to set the right recurring payments. And then of course, communicating to customers is really important. So making sure that your system is sending, uh, say customer receipts and those kinds of things on the schedule that they want to. So maybe they are paying weekly, but maybe they only want an invoice uh, once, a, you know, a receipt once a year, maybe as a statement. So you can turn those things off and then just send them what they need at the end of the day. Maybe some of them want, you know, weekly payment, weekly email with uh, an attached statement of, of work. So just make sure you talk to your customers and make sure that you know what they need so that they can get what they need for their bookkeeper or accountant or whatever the various um, regulatory compliance pieces are for them in that sense. So like I said, I tend to recommend people to waive invoices because it's just a really good platform for that. And, but you know, there are many, many other tools that are out there that have it built in like 17 hats and FreshBooks has a, you know, is a great tool as well. So, you know, if you have any questions about uh, recurring payment and how to really do that, uh, let me know. PayPal even has it built in with subscriptions uh, for, for those purposes. Okay, so in uh, closing out, I wanted to talk a little bit about this, um, the um, Critio Critio <laughs> Shopper Story 2022 report, and just cover some of the highlights of the report that, um, that I've kind of point, you know, picked out as I was making my way through. Uh, but in essence, they have five sections to this report. I'm really only going to touch on uh, two of them. And the uh, the nature of the report was really to see what consumer behavior, how, how it's changing over time. And so uh, first and foremost, there is this very interesting uh, perspective here, which is that uh, in-person shopping hasn't gone away, notwithstanding the pandemic. And it talks about the reasons for people uh, being likely to shop in a store for a retail or a brand. And the reasons being uh, immediate need for a product, right? You're going to, if you need something right now, you're going to want to walk down to the store, drive over to that store and pick it up. Convenient location. So convenience is a huge factor always in marketing, right? In promotions, uh, better ways to try the product. I have this constant problem, right? Different shoe sizes, different fits, uh, you know, and wanting to make sure that the shoe fits correctly. So, uh, you know, buying online sometimes feels more difficult because you have to buy a shoe, you, you get the pair of shoes, you know, delivered, then they don't quite fit right. So then you have to ship it back. And it's a bit of a back and forth mess, uh, you know, and on some brands, that's the only way to buy from them. Uh, but some brands uh, that have them in the stores, I'm much more likely to go in the store because I can try the product out and, and know that it fits when I make that purchase. Uh, the availability of in-store offers. So driving uh, customers to your store through in-store offers. Uh, there used to be a an ice cream shop that was near my office and they used to tweet out the daily special flavors and so there was no there was not no actual uh promotional offer but for the fact that of the regular flavors that they had they also had a special flavor uh, that was only available for that day and so when that special flavor came up you know many times i would look and i said oh key lime pie. I like key lime pie. And I'd go make a, a, a trip during lunch hour to go pick up the key lime pie item just because they made that in-store offer, which didn't actually 
you know, offer me any kind of discount or or anything other than that, other than the specialty of the flavor. So remember that you don't have to give away stuff in order for you to drive in-store traffic. Just the availability of something that is specialized in the store is going to be important. Um, obviously, knowledgeable salespeople. You know, if you're making large payments or uh, you know large purchases of some kind, you want to be able to talk to someone and get that kind of feedback. Uh, I was recently uh, in uh, Lowe's or Home Depot or something like that, and had a negative experience because the the salesperson was not knowledgeable, and I determined that I would just go online and do what I needed to do online because I could get that kind of information uh, without actually being in the store. They're discouraging me from going into the store now because the uh, sales you know, person on the floor was not uh, knowledgeable about the thing that I wanted to. So absolutely having knowledgeable people there, they're really, it's con it's consultative sales, right? It's, a, it's someone who's there to guide you through that purchase process. And like I said, especially if it's a large purchase, you know, I'm trying to buy a door, I wanna be able to talk to somebody about the door and how it's going to be set up, how the jam and the base and the sill is all gonna be assembled. I don't wanna speak to someone who doesn't know what they're doing. And so it's really important for me to, you know, if I'm gonna spend a couple thousand dollars to several thousand dollars for a door to be installed, I want to make sure I know uh, that that person knows what they're talking about before I make the purchase. And then, of course, uh, the novelty uh, within the store. There's something very novel in the store. And many times I, I find that um, customization of the product is also novelty. So if you can go in the store and have them, uh, uh, opticians do this all, all the time, right? Having the ability to adjust the glasses or um, you know modify the glasses in some way, shape, or form. It's nice to go in and actually look at the different glasses and see the ways in which they can go ahead and modify uh, the glasses to fit properly and those kinds of things. Or being able to go in and have them uh, customized by having you know your name put on it, or, you know inscribed or or imprinted on on the product, those kinds of things. Uh, unique merchandise is always going to drive more people into the store, and uh, but it's less so than all of the other real mainstay things, right? Which is uh, immediacy of getting the product and so on and so forth. So I just wanted to bring that to people's attention because you know I think a lot of people think, oh well, I have to do um, something so radically different with regard to my. Uh, retail store to bring traffic in. But these are the main reasons why people actually come to stores today. And we should um, keep that in mind. There was another um, stat in here about showrooming. Um, but I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. I, I did want to talk a little bit about this, which is that there is uh, there's a, a, a group of buyers on one side and the other that choose to do hybrid purchases. And what that means is there are robo buyers and they call them ROPO here, research online, purchase offline, but I've I've always called them robo, which is research online, buy offline. Uh, so robo buyers are those people who, you know, they go to Google, they do a little bit of research or a lot of research, and then they ultimately uh, go into the store to make the purchase. Uh, then they have this secondary category of folks, which are BOPIS or, you know, B-O-P-I-S, uh, buy online and purchase in store. Uh, these are folks who go and uh, do the researching online, most likely. They buy online and then they go pick up in, in the store. And we saw a lot of this during the pandemic. Uh, I know I was doing a lot of uh, online purchasing and then I would, you know, drive up and they would have curbside uh, pickup, you know, and so that was really convenient so that we didn't have to go into the store and interact with folks. And so uh, this is becoming more and more prevalent as people have become comfortable with this kind of purchase path. So just keep that in mind if you're running any retail and want to be able to strengthen the amount of purchase that's happening from your e-commerce site by encouraging people to buy online and then pick up in store, which also means that if they make a minor mistake in the 
in the purchase that they've made, they can just open up the product, say, oh, you know what, this is not actually what I wanted to buy. And they can make that swap there, which means that your whole customer service and customer experience uh, pathway is going to be, I mean, refunds, churn, all of those things are going to, of course, um, be, you know, reduced in some way, shape or form by virtue of that. Remember that showrooming still exists. People are still going to the showrooms uh, to showroom, meaning that they're going into the store, they're looking at the products, and then they're going home later to buy online. Now, remember that you can still do this um, and uh, and be loyal to a brand. So many times I will you know, go to stores and, and look and shop around, but I really don't wanna have to carry the stuff home, you know, especially if I'm on work travel, so I will make sure that I have the information so that I can, when I get home, I can purchase it online and have it shipped to me. And so just making sure that you and your sales uh, team facilitate people on the ground to make sure people know, hey, if you're not gonna buy it today, no worries, you can actually purchase it now and have it shipped. Or you know, when you get home, here goes a link, maybe a little, maybe a little promotional offer for a percentage discount or free shipping discount so when you do get home that you buy from us as opposed to going to a big box retailer and purchasing it from them so there are ways in which you can tie people back to the purchase process process online even if they leave the store without making a uh, purchase immediately okay uh and then i wanted to just talk quickly about the idea of um the the future of of commerce and um, what and how Criteo really talks about it. And they talk about it from the perspective of retail and brand websites and that people uh, you know, want to uh, go to these websites, they want them to be better. And I think it's really important to kind of take heed here, which is that uh, customers are going to retail and brand websites in order to get information about things that they already want. And if people are on your website, they have gone a far distance to get there, right? You know, because it's very easy to do a Google search and show up on uh, major big box retailers' websites. But to end up on your retail site means that you've done some really hard work and or there's been serendipity and now they're there. And now we want to keep them there, not direct them away. One is all of your social icons, Facebook and Instagram and so on and so forth. Make sure that those links take people to a new tab and don't overtake the existing page. I see this all the time. You do all of this hard work to build a website, to get people to your site, and then you immediately direct them away from it to Facebook or Instagram or otherwise, and uh, and and why? So that they can follow you there, but not actually make a purchase on the website that you you know spent so much time and energy to build. So really important that you keep people on your site. Yes, if they go to Facebook, if they go to Instagram, if they go to Twitter, they go to Pinterest, that's fine, but put them out in another tab. So when they get done with whatever they were doing there, liking or following your content, now they're back at your website and they can continue the purchase process or the at least the browsing process toward it. Uh, know that uh, when customers know the exact item that they want to buy, uh, uh, do they typically start their search? Um, you know, when it says when searching online to make a purchase, where do you typically start your search? And what they noted here was that when consumers know exactly um, the item that they want to buy, they just basically start with a search. Uh, and that's just the majority of them. And then, of course, when consumers know the type of item they want to buy, they uh, browse the retail brand's website. So they go directly to the brand that they know, which is important for you to kind of um, keep in mind because that's a that's a word of mouth and more traditional media and social media uh, combination to make sure people know 
you stay top of mind when they have that thought. You know, like, oh, you know what? I want this type of item. Uh, where should I go to look for it? And if your local retail store has that, then you want to make sure that you uh, reinforce that brand by continually putting that out in front of them. Uh, they will go to marketplace stores like Amazon and other places, and then they will search uh, Google and Bing uh, in in just about you know uh, similar amounts. So keep in mind that there's a mixture between people searching for products, for product type, uh, but also if you know where you're going to find things, you're going to go directly to that retail or brand website, or you're going to go to the uh, marketplace type stores that are going to be able to give you aggregated spaces. You know, there's lots of these discount marketplace sites like Woot and other places, also owned by Amazon, uh, I think. And so, you know, you're going to these marketplace places to find products. And so you need to make sure that you not only have surface on these if it's important enough to your company, but also that you're paying attention to how this all uh, works in terms of your website working for you. Your website needs to be uh, a, a strong vehicle for being able to both give people the opportunity to research and buy on your site, but then also uh, direct them to come into your store when it makes sense uh, if, you, if you do retail traffic in the store itself. This report is, is pretty lengthy and has some really, really good content uh, within it. So I highly recommend uh, that when the links are available to you for you to check it out and uh, kind of review the various content that's on here. And But otherwise, I think that pretty much covers what I wanted to talk about within the report. Uh, as I said, there's a lot more in the report that you can go ahead and uh, check out. Uh, so I wanted to note then, as we come to a close, that we have a few announcements. Our next couple of events are now finally, on the calendar. Uh, so on the first Tuesdays of the month, we host a small business virtual roundtable. And so that one is now on the calendar. And if you go to uh, our, um, let's see, what link do I send everybody to? I send you all to w3cinc.com forward slash events. So if you go to W, the number three, C as in Charlie, INC as in charlie, so inc.com forward slash events, you'll be taken to the page where you can go ahead and register for these. Uh, if you are a member of the Web and Beyond community, if you go to www.webandbeyond.community, you can just join that and then you can RSVP in there as well. Uh, but either way, we have uh, two events, as I said, upcoming. The uh, first one is our small business virtual roundtable, what we call Web and Beyond Roundtables. And so the first one will be, let's see here, I need to find it now, June 7th. And this one's a, a little bit of a funky time because I have a, a conflict. We typically do it noon Eastern, but this one's going to be how to get media attention in the digital age. So talking about you know, publicity, public relations, that kind of stuff in a digital context. And so that will be on June 7th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30, so 13.30 Eastern Daylight Saving Time. And our first uh, webinar for um, this, since this hiatus from it, for um, uh, Web and Beyond webinars is going to be an introduction to Google Analytics 4 for small business. So if you don't know, uh, Google Analytics uh, currently is running what's called UA or Universal Analytics. It is sunsetting in uh, in 2023. And so we have some time, but it's best to start getting familiar with Google Analytics 4. And so I'm going to walk everybody through Google Analytics 4. And actually, the subsequent web webinar after uh, the GA4 webinar will be on how to 
transition. If you're currently using UA, Universal Analytics, how to transition to GA4, which is the new version of analytics. So those are going to be the two webinars. Again, if you go to w3cinc.com forward slash events, you'll find the Eventbrite uh, links to go ahead and register there, or you can go over to Web and Beyond Community at www.webandbeyond.community and uh, going ahead and signing up to uh, join and register there. Of course, we have uh, Memorial Day coming up on this Monday. So happy early Memorial Day. Uh, I'll be off on Monday for the holiday. So we'll be back on Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern for our next Web and Beyond Live. So we've come to the end of our time together uh, this week. If you've enjoyed the live stream, feel free to click the thumbs up icon. Go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel or to wherever you're following and watching us. Uh, you may be on Twitter, you may be on Facebook watching us uh, on either of those live platforms. So feel free to go ahead and follow us there for um, when we go live in the future. If you have a question, feel free to leave a comment or tweet slash message me at W3Consulting on Twitter or whatever the social is. Uh, join us um, usually most Mondays, except this coming Monday, which will be Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And uh, we'll note if we have to change times or if we're delayed because of internet gremlins or anything like that. But thank you so much for spending this Web and Beyond Live with me. I'm Ray Sidney Smith on behalf of W3 Consulting and W3C Web Services. Have a great week ahead marketing your small business on the Web and Beyond.